Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode five, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. And if you're new to this series and you enjoy this episode, please feel free to go back and enjoy our previous Fireside Chats. I've talked with former NFL defensive backs like Eric Crocker, quarterback expert Mark Schofield. I've talked with the co-founder of Edge Analytics and Edge Sports, Frank Frigo, the mastermind behind Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz. There's just a ton of evergreen content in these episodes, and they are jammed packed with what I find to be fascinating information. But I'll tell you, as a lifelong Eagles fan, this episode really got my juices going because our guest today is Trey Thomas. Longtime Eagles offensive tackle and three-time Pro Bowler. And we talk offensive line play technique, the state of the Eagles offensive line, how they can get past some of their recent struggles. And he even gave me a tip on what to do if I ever find myself in the unfortunate situation of having to pass rush against him. So you know what? Enough talk. You're here for Trey. I get it. Let's do it. Joining me today is Trey Thomas, 12-year NFL veteran at Offensive Tackle. You can follow him on Twitter at 72TreyThomas, and you can listen to him on the radio airwaves at 97.5 The Fanatic. Trey, how you doing, brother? Man, I'm fantastic. How about yourself? It's been a long time coming. I know, I know, man. We've been interacting on the uh, on the Twitter timeline. Uh, I asked you one time if I was just talking talking nonsense about uh, offensive line play, and you're like, "Yeah, you're absolutely talking nonsense. This is this, this and that." And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I appreciate your uh, your straightforward manner, and I always learn something when uh, when we have those discussions on Twitter. So that's awesome. So, first off, uh, I want to thank you for joining me here to talk offensive line play. Truly an honor um, for those listening. And look, Eagles fans know who you are. Longtime starting mm-hmm. offensive tackle for the Eagles, three-time Pro Bowler. But for the younger listeners, for instance, I have a 13-year-old son who doesn't remember the Andy Reid years, and I know he's listening. And I know people listen to this show on their drive home after picking up the kids. So for the younger crowd, can you give us a look into your background as a player and then after your playing years as a coach as well? Man, you know, like as a player, I guess, you know, just taking it back to my college days, I went to Florida State you know, University, uh, was in the class with Ward Dunn and E.G. Green and, uh, you know, Sam Carroll, a lot of uh, big-name guys that went on to have solid years in the NFL. And um, I was a first-round draft pick back in 1998, back when Ray Rose was the still the head coach. And then Big Red came in in 99, and then that was it for me there. You know, I, um, Big Red was my head coach for 10 years, and then I went to Jacksonville after that. You know, we had a lot of good success. Um, played, you know, McNabb was mainly our, our number one guy during those years. 
And, uh, you know, just learned a lot, man, just being under Juan Castillo, just working a lot of technique and stuff. And then after that, you know, I um, opened the gym for a little while. And then once Coach Kelly came in, I uh, went in and did an internship. I was blessed enough for him to allow me to get the opportunity to go and do an internship with him. And I worked with the offensive line. And then the, my first year being the year that they, we brought Lane Johnson in, in. And then my second year, I worked with the outside linebackers focusing on pass rush. That's awesome. As you got experience on both sides of the line. You can see things from, from both sides. It's very cool. So before we get into the specifics of what's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line right now, I wanted to get some general insight on how you specifically would prepare during the week. So what was your routine from a preparation standpoint throughout the week as you got yourself mentally prepared for the opponent that you were about to face? Um, a lot of film study. Uh, you know, we would come in as a unit and, and come in. I think we our first meeting was like 8 o'clock by ourselves with just offensive line, sit in there and watch a little film before we go into our special teams meetings and everything like that. So it was just something that we would do on our own. And then once we got out on the practice field, Wednesdays was always the same. Juan was a, a sticker and making sure that every Wednesday was the same, every Thursday was the same. So Wednesdays for us was working a lot of pass technique, you know, a lot of pass sets, working your hands, punching. Thursdays we would incorporate some run, more run blocking stuff. But, uh, you know, it was all a lot of film study and just working the technique over and over and over again. I mean, Juan – Never let it slide. Uh, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays was usually usually our most challenging practice because our DNs were, you know, really pushing for us. I always had D Birds, Jeremy um, Dougal, uh, Hugh Douglas, and guys to kind of work against. Even Indy Kalu, guys that would push us in practice. So by the time we got into the game, you know, it was a whole lot easier because I mean we've already gone through it on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Then we start pulling back a little bit on Fridays and Saturdays. You start getting ready for the game. Trey, let's say you're doing your film work during the week and you're scouting the guy who is going to be lined up across from you 60 plus times a game. But as you watch this Tennessee defense and you see, okay, I'm going to see a lot of Brian Arakpo. But then you get further into the film and you say, all right, there's going to be some Derek Morgan sprinkled in coming from my side too. And in the sub packet situations, I'm going to see some Harold Landry. And on top of that, mm -hmm they're going to mess around and maybe stand everybody up and move them around and they're going to stunt and bring linebackers and bring cornerbacks and you see an aggressive defense that comes at you in a variety of ways like the Eagles saw this past Sunday. If that's the case, as you know, the Eagles did see on Sunday, to ensure that you and the rest of the guys on the offensive line are in position to win those battles, what has to happen during the week? All right, so first of all, when I could get ready to study a guy, first what I look at is what kind of stance is he in? Is he going to be an inside foot back guy? Or is he going to be an outside footback guy? Meaning, you know, if he's over on the left, over on my side, he would be on the right side. Is his left foot back being his inside foot? Or if his right side is, foot, is back, you know, outside. Because then now I know where we're going to make contact. It's not like how the old school way of things, of doing it, where the offensive line coach would be like, hey, man, you know, once you see this shoulders turn, shoot your hands. No, we learned how to count steps. So I knew by the time if we're, if he had his outside foot back, he might come in on his second step. If not, he's make, we're making contact on his fourth. If his inside foot is back, we're going to make contact on three. If not, it's going to be five. And by that time, he should be past the quarterback if the quarterback is stepping up in the pocket. You see what I'm saying? So now all of this only works if you're a vertical setter. You know what I'm saying? So we would, I would look at what kind of stance is he in. All right, is he a bull rusher? Is he going to be one of those guys that's going to give me that little shake move? If he's going to be a shake move guy, what step is he doing it on? Is he going? Is it going to be with his outside foot back where he takes one step upfield, jab in on his inside step, 
and then come out on his third, you know what I'm saying? Or is it going to be, if his inside foot is back, he's taking that one step up field on his two, the third step is what's jabbing at, and then he comes back out. So, you know, I start looking at stuff like that, and then you decide, okay, am I going to shoot my hands or what? Is he going to bull rush? You know what I'm saying? Is he going to be – then now after that, we start working games. We understand if it's a wide, wide alignment, if it's a wide three, wide four. Usually by the time me and Scott, Todd would be able to say, hey, man, this is a game, because we've worked it so much, you know, and then um, Juan was just big on, like, if I was going to be dealing with speed rushers, I'm out there doing pass sets against uh, Ike Reese, Reno Mahe, trying to do whatever he can to make sure that we can get that game speed during practice, you know, because you don't want the Sunday to be the first time you deal with something like that. So what about like, and you said, you know, is this a game coming at me? Is it maybe a stunt game, something like that? What's the relationship with you and let's say the the left guard when it comes to dealing with stunts at a higher frequency like we saw against the Titans? Yeah, it's something that you're going to have to communicate. You, you have to talk about it. And then, you know, we have to also, too, if you know it's a four eye, if that meaning that mm. for offensive tackle, if it's a, what you have is outside shoulders of five, inside, right head up is four, and a four eye is slightly inside. Well, if it's a four eye technique, then I, the guard, me and the guard should know. I know that the guard is going to have to set wide. I, as a tackle, should set vertical. Because if I set at a 45, if he ricochets off my hip, I'm leaving the guard in no man's land and I can't get back because now all the ta- all the DN is going to do is ricochet off my hip and then he's going because the guard has to go back in to take care of the looper. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you have to be, as a tackle, you need to be vertical so that you can kind of protect that and then the guard comes in and then now we can push out to the widest guy. Yeah, so if you have a four-eye and then an outside guy, you have to set vertical. Be ready to communicate it. You have to switch it off. I think sometimes you, you have to punch it and you have to say, yell, switch, 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 you know, because I got to know that you're there. Yeah. And, you know, and then I need to feel that you're going to be there and trust that you're there. So, you know, it's a lot that's going on out there. What what helps you most from your from your guard that's next to you as far as passing off a stunt? Is it physicality? Is it like Lane Johnson said, putting a cannonball through the guy's chest? Yeah. Or, uh, what does he need to do to put you in a position to win? He needs to punch. You know, uh, he's definitely going to have to punch. And I need to be a puncher, too, just the same. Like, if I have that uh, DN that's crashing, I need to punch it and flatten him out a little bit because I don't need him coming in full speed and, and taking out my guard's hip. So I need to punch him as hard as I can to flatten him to give my guard a chance to be in a good position to take him over. You know, so vice versa, if it's a TE, then now I need that guard to punch him to, to send him outside of me so I can transition back in with a nice, easy step. The guy comes flat across my face then now I can keep continue setting back and the guard is in good position to take over the end that's coming back inside. So the Eagles, having said all that, they've, they've given up nine sacks in the last two games. Mm-hmm. They've had issues with stunts against the Colts. They've had issues with the same things in a very aggressive defense that like to blitz with the Titans. Beyond the box score, when you watch the film, because context is king, how do you feel that the offensive line has fared lately as a unit? They've been struggling, man. It's just been, you know, because they've been getting picked apart with games. There's been some late bump backs and stuff, but you know, this is all stuff that can be corrected. They just have to go back on film and say, all right, you know what? I have to be there. I have to trust that you're going to be there so that I can let the guy by. I thought like sometimes Lane and Brandon Brooks sometimes would hold on. Lane would take the, the penetrating in 
and would ride it down a little too much because he's not aware that Brandon Brooks is going to be there to take him off. You know what I'm saying? So you can kind of mm. see that there's a lack of communication or vice versa. Brandon Brooks might hang on to it a little bit longer because he doesn't know if Lane is going to be there in time because they're not communicating, you know? So that's all stuff that you can kind of see on film that just can be corrected. You know, you just got to go through it and practice, drill it, work it, everything that you can. I think on the left side, there were a couple of times where uh, Jason Peters kind of set at a 45 where he could have been in vertical, you know, to kind of help himself out, to help him with switch things off. So this is all stuff that can that's, you can see on film. Every coach can see it. And it's just something that you're going to have to work because every defensive line now is seeing that and they're going to continue to test you with it. If, until you can handle it. Yeah, and, and like you said, I, I, I'm not too panicked about this offensive line. No. I don't think you are either because, yeah, you, you can see that stuff on film. You know it's a problem, and it's something that it, it's not like they're getting beat with skill. It's technique and communication, right? Yeah, it's, it's just basic technique stuff. And, and, man, you have the most athletic group of you know out there. I mean, our yeah. offensive line is, is way better than what they're showing right now. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. that, you know, it's just that some things that you're going to have to correct. And sometimes, you have a game like that, it, it'll wake you up. And like, all right, you know what? We might need to tighten up on practice a little bit where we have some of these young cats go a little bit harder on us, you know, to kind of so you can get that full speed momentum. Because that with, with technique, it's not something that you just can click on and off. You got to drill it day in, day out, you know, because if you work with a, a DN that just can – if a D-tackle is a shifty guy – but he only gives you one move and stop, your body gets used to it. So then now when you get in the game, that one move can turn into three. And you're used to stopping now. You know, so this is something that you just have to continue to drill. And you have to work it in practice. And you can do it. Going to you mentioned Jason Peters. This is a guy that's that's coming off a torn ACL and MCL. He's been dealing with a quad injury early on in the season. Mm-hmm. From my amateur viewpoint, it, it looks like he isn't at the level of movement skill that he's been in the past. What have you thought of his year so far? Should we be concerned, or do you just think this is a matter of him getting over that quad injury? I think he's still getting over the quad injury because there was a, a play that I saw Jason Peters where any other time he would have been able to transition out of it and would have been able to hunker down and turn that into a drive block. Well, you know, before you could do that type of stuff, but now, you know, when you have it dealing with leg injuries and quads and stuff like that, then now, you know, you kind of have to change the way you do things a little bit. So these are technique things that he can see. He's going to see it. He's still one of the best in the game. You know what I'm saying? Just make that correction, see it on film. All right, let's ride. You know, because, I mean, this yeah. is a group that can do it. You know, and I and I think JP, man, hands down, best in the game when he wants to do it. It's just, you know, oh, yeah. this game was just one of those. I'm, I'm praying that it was just one of those eye-opening games like, all right, you know what, let's go get it. All right, you know what I'm saying? And then just go because you have the group that can do it. There's not an offensive line out there that's better than these guys. I fully agree with that. And one of the things that can help this offensive line perform at a higher level or maybe mask some of the issues and make things look better for them is getting some help from the running backs in in pass pro, which was a struggle for them against the Titans. So, And with this stable of running backs, you got guys coming in, coming out because there's injuries and and there's other things going on. How important is that running back back there as far as, you know, doing the pass protection as a unit, as a whole? How important is he, and how does that get installed throughout the week? Oh, it's definitely important. I mean, the running backs meet with the offensive line all the time just so that we could talk about who has which responsibility. Because a lot of times when it's a slide protection, if it's a slide protection, we're going to the right, the running back, we have to trust that the running back is on a dual read. So that means, you know, the left side, if we're sliding right, you know, the center might be going to the right, then that means the left side is man. 
And then that means also that the running back probably has a dual read on that backside. So we have to trust that if somebody comes through that the running back is going to be there. The quarterback has to trust that as well. Because you're going to make your point and you're going to work to You can only cover one side of the field at a time when it comes to slide. So you're going to need that back to kind of step in. If it's a linebacker that's coming through, then he's going to have to man up and take on that linebacker. Now, if it's a defensive lineman that's at, at linebacker position, then now as a center, you need to redirect that guy as the rusher and the offensive lineman to take the back on the, on the linebacker. But that's all film study and stuff that has to happen through the coaches, throughout the film, and everybody sitting in the same meeting room together talking about each other's responsibilities. So getting past the X's and O's here, I saw that you put this on the timeline. I'm I'm interested in your take on it. You mentioned in a couple of clips that you put up that offensive linemen not helping up JGI off the ground or not helping up Carson Wentz off the ground when they when they hit the deck after yeah. the play. Can you kind of can you kind of elaborate on why that grinds your gear so much? Man, cuz I think Carson is coming back and I get it, man. I I, I had to sit back and, and reassess like, "Hey, did I ever pick up everybody like that?" You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just just as a as a fan now that's sitting there looking at I'm like, "Man, Carson just got lit up and everybody just turned around and went over to the sideline like, "Man, let me go get something to drink." You know, so I like, you know, when you got a guy that's coming back off a knee injury that's landing on the line for you, you know, and, and, you know, you would just think that someone would be like, hey, man, let me pick, let me help you up. You know, when you have uh, Jay Ajay out there that's, you know, playing with a fractured bone in his back, you know, help him up, you know. But and then like Westbrook even called me out. He was like, man, I don't even think I remember you even ever picking me up. And I'm like, you know what? You're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just, I would like to think it was because you were 20 yards downfield and you were just too far away. You know, but <laughs> I, I got to go look at the games and see if Brian has a point there. That, that'd be yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he does. Out. It's pretty solid because I, I don't <laughs> ever remember ever picking anybody up, really. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there was another interesting tweet that I that I saw and you followed up on it. It was referring to Seahawks offensive lineman Jermaine Fetty. Yeah. And what this person found was a direct correlation to his stance, whether he had parallel or staggered feet. Mm-hmm. And he was able to key in on it, it whether it was a run or a pass. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm sure there are more guys than we would imagine that have this tell or this tip off. But it's something that you said you looked for when you were working on the defensive side of the ball. Can you explain why that's an important scouting tip? Oh, man, that's big because, I mean, right now, you know, all right, it, it, am I going to pass rush or do I need to kind of be a little bit more patient and be ready to shut down the run? Now, sometimes it can trick you where the guy might be in that pass set and it's a draw block or something like that. But that's like one of the first tells I would look for in an offensive lineman, like, okay, does he show run and pass? Because you have to think now, a lot of times you have linebackers down there that can tell when a guard is pulling because they get in a different type of stance. And they're yelling yeah. out, hey, here comes the power. Here comes the pull. This guy's doing this, this, that, because everybody's reading stances. So, you know, I would definitely, that's, that's huge. That's the first thing I look for when I was working on the, on, on the defense side of the ball. It's like, all right, is he showing pass versus run? And then from there, we can r- kind of work from there. Then I started looking for, do, do they have, which one has the hitch? You know, because a lot of guys, when they mm. get ready to, for that little snap count, they have like a little habit that they have where they either their foot drops or something right before the ball goes. So I, I kind of wanted to start diving into looking for the guy that has that hitch and key off him and start looking at the ball. Because I always, what I looked at was like White Freeney and them across the board were always the fastest off the ball. And I was like, there's <laughs> absolutely no way they're looking at the ball. 
You, there's yeah. no way you can be looking at the ball and getting off the ball that quick. They found somebody that had a hitch and they were gone. And that's a big part of it too, man. Fi- finding those keys and then finding them throughout the game too. So, okay, I've got I got one more question for you, Trey. Uh, actually, I got two more. Well, one is, did you have a tell in your stance? And if you if you didn't, did you ever try to play games with people to give them a false tell? Oh man, I definitely had a tell in my stance because I struggle at run blocking. <laughs> you know, so so anytime we were in, we, you know what, we passed so much. It really didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just, we were going to a game, airing it out, man. Big Red didn't mind. You know, for me, I was cool. You know, so, you know, because when we got down the run, everybody knew, all right, here comes the run. So for us, I really didn't have to worry about it. So, Trey, I am six foot, 180 pounds. What advice would you give me if I was sent on a blitz and had you right in front of me? Man, <laughs> get, get low, get low, get low, get, low? get quick. Yeah, get low and be able to work a counter. I would say start, start, start low, and then be able to work a spin move. Because uh-huh. then now, yeah, because if you got a tackle that feels like that speed is coming, then you know you don't want to get beat around the edge. Then now, if you have that spin move, it's nasty. What, is is that something that? Uh, what move did you struggle with the most as a pro? Man, Simeon Rice, man, he was just a pain in my ass, dude. You know, he was so awkward. He would just accept my punch and then clamp my outside arm. And, you know, it, it always gave me problems. He beat me on a three-step drop one time. You know, it, it was it was not good, you know. But, he, you know, he made us change the way we played the game. You know, uh, we started treating guys like boxers. We didn't throw both hands at the same time. We would go inside hand and only bring the outside hand if we really needed it. Other than that, everybody was kind of the same, where you had that, you know, speed rush, boom rush, hop-out guy. You know, Juan did a really good job of prepping us. Trey. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have to do this again sometime, man. Man, anytime. So fo- follow Trey at 72 Trey Thomas. Uh, and again, listen to him on the radio airwaves at 97.5 The Fanatic. We're going to get Trey in as much as we possibly can here at Bleeding Green Nation. Trey, thank you so much again, man. All right, man. No problem, my brother. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.